If you've got your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. I want to speak about building your house on the rock. Building your house on the rock. Luke 6 verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on a ground without foundation or on the sand. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is one of the foundational stories, really, that Jesus brings us And he cuts right to the heart of our Christian lives and our priorities and what we focus our attention on in our lives. And he starts by by making a remarkable question, or giving a remarkable question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? That's such a powerful question, and you can almost feel the sort of experience that Jesus had had to ask that question. He doesn't just say, why do you call me Lord? It's like, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And in that question, there's like a petition. It's like people are going up to Jesus, and they're honoring him with titles, and they're asking him for help, you know, If you've ever gone to the Lord, uh, gone in prayer and you've went, Lord, Lord, it's a petition, isn't it? You're asking for help. Some situation has taken place and you're, you're going to him with a plea, asking him to intervene, asking him to make things right, asking him to do something in your life. Lord, Lord, it's a petition. And Jesus is saying, well, why are you doing that? Why are you calling me Lord, Lord? And you don't do what I tell you. It's almost like he's saying, you know, you're asking me, Lord, Lord, but what's the point in me intervening? What's the point in me answering this particular prayer or petition or solving the particular problem that you're bringing to me? What is the point in me doing these things for you If you don't actually do what I tell you to do, what's the point in doing that? It's a little bit like when you're trying to give someone a piece of advice and they don't take it. I remember one particular person uh, would come to me for advice and I would give them some very good practical advice, but then they'd go off and do the exact opposite. And it became a consistent thing they would come and they would ask me for advice and I would give them advice and then they wouldn't take the advice. I'm not saying they have to do everything I tell you, but 
the advice I was giving was good advice. And the person came back to me once, too often, to say, you know, what about this situation? I just said, you know, just go and do what you want to do. Just go ahead and do what you've already... I said, you've already... I mean, you may have said this. I said, you've already made a decision in your mind about what you want to do and how you want to do it. I think, really, you've just come to see me to see if I'll say the same thing that you've already made your decision to do. And if I confirm your opinion and confirm what you've already decided to do, all well and good. But if I tell you to do anything that's different than what you've already made up in your mind to do, you're just going to discard that. So what, what is the point? I tell you what, just do what you want to do. The person was a little bit offended by it. I said, no, seriously, you come to me for advice and you never take it. So why come again? And then I give you all this advice, I give you this pep talk, I give you direction, I give you reflection, I give you the benefits of whatever wisdom I've got to give to you, and then you go, then you pay no attention to it at all. And so I feel like you want me to be a rubber stamp, just to put a rubber stamp on your decisions. I'm not prepared to do that anymore. And I, I see this in what the Lord is saying. Why do you call me? Lord, Lord. It's like, Lord. You're calling me Lord, and what does that actually mean to you? To call somebody Lord in those days, it's like saying you're the boss, you're in charge, I'm your servant, you're my Lord. And so when a servant comes to the Lord, what's the servant going to do? What the Lord tells him to do. It's like the master, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me master, master? But you don't do what I say. Jesus is saying, look, there's no point me inputting your life if you're not prepared to do what I tell you. It's like going to the doctors with an illness and the doctor giving you medicine and then you going away and refusing to take it and then going back to the doctor and say, I'm still ill. And the doctor says, did you take the medicine I told you to take? No. And then the doctor in the end will say, what's the point of you coming back to me telling me you're still ill when you don't take the medicine that I've told you to take? We know that this must be what Jesus is saying because of the rest of the story. He says, everybody who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what that person is like. So Jesus is saying, this is the person that comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, and does what I tell them to do. This is what this person is like. This is what will happen to this person. That person is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house uh, and could not shake it because it had been well built. I think what Jesus is saying here is, some of you are coming to me and saying, Lord, Lord, and you're in a mess, but the reason that you're in a mess is because you didn't do what I told you to do in the first place. You wouldn't be in this mess if you'd taken my advice, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And then when it all goes pear-shaped, you come to me, Lord, Lord, and uh, you're in a mess. You're like a person that's built their house on the sand, and as soon as trouble comes and the whole thing disintegrates, you come back to me and you say, Lord, Lord, help me. But these things could have been avoided or at least, if not avoided, 
These things could have been weathered. You could have come through without it turning into some sort of disastrous situation where you need some sort of divine intervention to pick up the pieces of a disaster. And so somebody that obeys the Lord, this is somebody that is preparing in advance, is not waiting for the crisis to hit, and then crying out, Lord, Lord, but is preparing their lives so that when anything comes to shake their life, or any trial comes to shake their life, they will be ready to face it. This is somebody who's actually preparing for the storm. Now, Jesus told this story in many different forms. In Matthew and at other times, he made it more explicit. It was the picture of someone building on the rock by the seaside and somebody building on the sand. But it's the same story. It's about preparing for the future now. It's speaking against a sort of attitude that simply just lives day by day and is a haphazard type of attitude towards life and the future uh, that isn't preparing oneself for anything, but is just going through day to day and looking for the easy route and the easy way. And then when the trials come and the storms come, that person isn't ready at all. But the person that comes to me and hears my word is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. This is speaking about digging a foundation of character in our lives. You see, God, is his greatest concern is not what happens to you, but what's happening inside you. What happens to you is, is really not a problem if what happens in you has been a, a great work of, work of God. We see in this picture that the same storm comes to everybody. The same storm comes to the person that dug deep in the foundation. The same type of storm came to somebody that didn't. That's not the issue. The issue is not circumstances. You know, we, we can't help the circumstances that we face, the circumstances that come amongst us. Now, we all face circumstances that are common to a fallen world. How many of you know this world doesn't work? How many know this world's broken? It's, it's broken. It doesn't work. And um, it did work when God first created it. When God created the world, it was perfect. It was wonderful. Everything worked. There was no sickness. There was no sadness. There was no death. Everything was perfect. You imagine a perfect world, the best world you can imagine, and then times that by about a million, and you've got what God created. Your mind could not even fathom the goodness and the beauty of the universe when God first created it. Because you, you, you've got a fallen mind. You've never experienced that type of wonder, perfection. I mean, God didn't just say it was good. He said it was very good. And then when the fall took place, we broke everything. In Adam, we broke everything. The whole thing, the whole of creation 
was subjected to frustration. Everything we know about life is tainted and tinted with sin and brokenness. And thank God, God has sent his son to bring healing into our lives and to bring a process of salvation and restoration that will end in the book of Revelation where God will recreate the whole universe and, they, and there will be no more t crying, no more dying, no more sickness. But the moment we find ourselves in a position with a broken world and Jesus says that circumstances that are common to man will come into our lives different ways and God is still Lord of the circumstances but Jesus said that in this life you will have tribulation, difficulties, challenges will come. Now we can live in denial all we like but that won't stop these circumstances coming. And a wise person is somebody that is doing the work on the inside of their lives and preparing themselves. And Jesus is saying that far, far better from us getting into some sort of disastrous situation where we just can't cope and uh, all our safety and security, like the house on the sand, has just fallen apart. We find ourselves without shelter in life. We find ourselves totally exposed to the storms of life and, and, and we, we've lost our strength and we're being battered and bruised by the storm. Jesus is saying it's possible to get stronger and stronger and stronger so that we can withstand whatever comes our way. And the way to do this is to hear God's word and do them. Now, Christians are very good at hearing God's word very good at listening to sermons, watching Christian television, reading Christian books about this, that, and the other, coming and hearing uh, sermons and everything like that. But you see, none of that matters whatsoever in any shape or form unless you put what you hear into action. In the English word hearing we usually think, oh, it's just a process of listening. But in the Greek word, the New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek word for hearing is akouo. And that word does not just mean hearing, it means hearing and responding to what you've heard. So both in the Hebrew and the New Testament, the word for hearing is never just listening. It is always a response, a reaction to what you have heard. It implies action. And this is why, you know, James, James, who, when you read the book of James, I mean, he's so close in the way that he teaches to Jesus. You, you, you can see the Jewishness all over it. And, and he basically picks up what his half-brother, Jesus, was teaching in James chapter 1 and verse 22. He says, James 1, 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Now that's a very powerful thing to say, that to be, to, that to be a hearer only is to be in self-deception, self-deception. Sometimes I think people think that hearing is enough, that just to hear a sermon or to hear the Lord through reading the scriptures 
that somehow just that listening, just that reading will somehow change you, but it won't. It won't do that. You're in self-deception. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, the blessing is not in the hearing. The blessing is in the doing. The blessing is in the... I mean, you can hear the most wonderful teaching in the world, the most wonderful sermons. You can listen to... You can read the greatest Christian books that are available and, and all that's there. But do you know what? There's no blessing in it. You say, oh no, I was blessed, I read this book, or oh, I heard this sermon, I was blessed. There's no blessing in it. There's no blessing in hearing a sermon one Sunday and then forgetting it by the next. There's no blessing in reading a good Christian book on prayer and then doing nothing about it. You might enjoy what you've read or enjoy what you've heard, but according to James, the blessing is not in the hearing but the blessing is in the doing. He will be blessed in his doing. He or she will be blessed in her or his going. It's action where the blessing comes. So when we actually bring change into our lives, when we actually begin to do what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through his word to do, that's when the anointing comes, the empowering, the enabling and the blessing. You see, we Western Christians, we are so well educated in the Bible. So well educated in the Bible. In fact, preachers have to think up strange and crazy angles in different stories of the Bible because people have heard so much. And there's such a danger in hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing, and hearing that we become connoisseurs of sermons and books and, and everything. I, I think of one particular scenario that, 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 that's in my mind and, and, it, and it was, it, it's, it's one of the worst places to be or the most dangerous places to be is when you're in a conference with a lot of other preachers because I've noticed there's one of the biggest dangers about hearing and not doing is if you're a preacher or a teacher. Because what can happen is professionalism can uh, get in. And I, I've been in scenarios on a number of times where I've been in conferences or gatherings where there's pastors and preachers and teachers and somebody gets up to preach and teach and I'm listening to people going, oh, that's good, that's a good point, that's a good... And I'm sitting there and thinking, oh, we really, really open to what this person is saying and are we applying it or are we sitting back to see how funny they are, what their stories are like, their communication abilities and sometimes I've been quite concerned, I've gone away thinking, uh, do you know what, I, I don't know if anybody listened to that. 
times when I occasionally have preached to preachers and I've gone away and thought, what was the point of that? Because I got the impression that they were listening to how the sermon was delivered. Oh, well, who is, who's this Bruce Atkinson? Oh, he's from Kensington Temple. Oh, he must be a good preacher or they wouldn't have him there, surely. Oh, I haven't heard him, let's see. And then I get up to preach and all of a sudden I've got this sense that people aren't here to hear what God's saying. They're here to, to grade me out of 10 on my delivery or my charisma or my stories or how I make them laugh. Whereas when you go to, before a hungry group of people, it's a totally different thing altogether because we, we make such an emphasis on hearing and not doing. And yet, if you just put into action a little of what you hear, it's amazing the blessing that will come into your life. A doer who acts, he will be blessed or she will be blessed in her doing action. There's no point reading books on prayer. There's no point hearing sermons on prayer if you don't pray. There's no blessing there. But if you do pray, the blessing will come. The anointing will come. Change will take place in your life. James speaks about looking into a mirror. And the picture is that you look into a mirror to see if you need to tidy your hair or your face or if you've got dirt or food on your face. And you look into the mirror and the mirror gives you a reflection. It reflects accurately who you are. Now, in James's day, they didn't have really well-polished glass mirrors like we have today. Uh, their mirrors were usually uh, polished metal and things like that, high, highly polished. But um, they didn't have mirrors all around. You know, wherever you go today, there's a mirror, there's a, there's a window or something like that, and you can just check your reflection. It wasn't like that in those days. You know, you were very blessed if you had a little piece of shiny metal that you could look at your face in. And so people weren't always aware of how they looked because there wasn't that many mirrors around. They weren't in mass production. So you had to take a special time and place and you had to be blessed to, to have a mirror. And here he says it's like looking intently into the mirror. Now the mirror is God's word. The mirror is God's word. Whenever you're reading the scriptures, it becomes a mirror to you. Do you know that? Whenever you're listening to a sermon... A mirror is held up in front of your soul every single time, every single time. And that mirror is not just the mirror of God's word, it is the mirror of the Holy Spirit using God's word to reflect on your life. That's why uh, you can preach one sermon to hundreds of people and each individual will be spoken to in a different way. There'll be one part of the sermon that will mean something to one person, another part to another person, another person will go away and what they will have heard will be different to what others have heard. The preacher preaches the same message, but the Holy Spirit as that message is being preached, is not just hopefully working through the preacher the, uh, and, the, and that which is being spoken, but the Holy Spirit is also working on the hearer. Do you know that? 
When you're listening to a sermon, you're not just listening to what I'm preaching, but there is something going on in your life where the Holy Spirit is taking what's being spoken, emphasizing some things, not emphasizing others, causing a response in your mind. The very thoughts that are going through your mind right now, unless you're totally phased out from what's going on and you're thinking about pizza or something, but if you're, if you're in any sense listening to anything that I'm saying, the very thoughts that are going on in your mind, the Holy Spirit is interacting with them. Your responses, the things you're thinking about, the things that you that, that, that maybe I flick a switch or maybe I say something and you begin to think something else. If you're, if you're basically attentive to this sermon, then each one of you is hearing, yes, the same sermon, but at the same time, you are hearing and thinking in totally unique ways. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what James means by the word. It's like if we were to read about, if I was to say, let's all of us say, read a section of scripture to, together and reflect on it. We'd all read the same section of scripture if I gave you the, um, the verses. But although it's the same scripture and the same word and the same meaning, our interaction with it would be totally personal and unique. Why? Because the mirror is not just the scripture. The mirror is the Holy Spirit's interaction with the scripture and the interaction with our hearts and minds. And so, and, and let, so in, in a normal sermon, a normal Bible reading, God is speaking to you. Sometimes we say it's like a rhema word. In other words, God takes his highlighter pen, you know those little yellow highlighter pens, and you get a book or a, or, or a document and you're reading it, and you highlight what you think is important, don't you? So that when you go back to it, you go, I'll go back to the bits I've highlighted. You can do these on Kindles. You can read a book on a Kindle, or, and you can highlight the sections that you think are important. Well, that's what we call a rhema word, when the Holy Spirit comes and highlights something in God's Word, in a book you're reading, and highlights it for you. That's God holding up a mirror to your soul and reflecting on you. Not you reflect, listen to me, not you reflecting on God, but God reflecting on you. You may think that you reflect on God. Oh, I'll reflect on that passage. I'll reflect on that sermon and think about what it means to me. Well, that's one side of it, but let me tell you something. That passage is reflecting on you. The Holy Spirit is giving you reflections. He's showing you things in your life by the word. The Holy Spirit says, I want to show you something. I want to show you something in your life. I want to show you the way that you're thinking. I want to show you something. You're looking in the mirror of God's word and God is speaking to you. He is speaking to you. He is reflecting on your life. He is reflecting on your heart. He is reflecting on your actions. The Holy Spirit is reflecting on your life and he's speaking to you. That's what a mirror does. A mirror speaks. Not, not like the Disney mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? But it is a talking mirror. It is a speaking mirror. 
It is a mirror that, that tells you as it is if you're willing to hear it. It will tell you. It will speak to you if you're willing not just to hear it, but to put it into action. And James is very, very, he said, what is the point in having this mirror relationship with God's word and God's spirit? What is the point if he's showing you things to adjust and you go away and he says, look at it. For he looks at himself or she looks at herself and goes away. And listen to this. And at once, not in a week or two, but at once, forgets what he was like. There's a danger. It's so easy to forget in an instant what God has shown you. The devil is out to rob the seed of God in your life. So sows the seed. What's the seed? The word of God. And there's many things that can choke the seed, but the devil tries to get the seed before it's even planted, and that's like a picture here. So when we go back to, to Jesus and this picture, he says, everyone who comes to me hears my word and does them, applies them, puts them into practice. That person is blessed. Why? Because it's like a man building a house who dig, dig, dug deep and laid a foundation in the rock. You see, this is the point that Jesus and James are saying that when you respond to the Holy Spirit's mirror in your life and begin to put things into action, blessing is coming. Blessing is coming. Blessing is coming. Something is happening inside your life. You're like a person digging deep and laying a foundation. You see, what God wants is deep Christians. Not shallow Christians, but deep Christians. Because you see, the thing is, but the thing is, you can't tell, you can't tell the difference between a shallow Christian and a deep Christian until the trial comes. In fact, often, as we know, often the shallow Christians sound the deepest. They're usually the one posting all that stuff on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about? All them little pictures of flowers and everything, and they're always quoting, and they're always like that, and they're always like that. It's like, tell you what, come back and quote when you're going through a difficult time. Right? No, then you complain, don't you? So, you know, they're, they're, they're always the ones. They're always the ones. They can talk the talk. Okay, anybody can talk the talk. The Western world, if the Western Christianity walked as it talked, there would be global revival. If British Christianity, I include myself in it, being British, if British Christianity actually did 2% of what they talk about, we'd be in a totally different scenario in Britain. We, we listen and we talk. But God's saying, I want to see action. God is saying, I'm tired of listening and listening and listening and not doing. I'm tired of talk. Talk, 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 talk. Show me by what you do. Show me. I'm writing a book on James at the moment, and I'm hoping I'll get a lot of it shifted this summer because the deadline's in December. 
And um, it's on the book of James. And I was teaching on the book of James uh, at, a, at a men's encounter a number of years ago. And I was trying to express what James was really trying to, to talk to people. And, and I was saying what James is really saying is, you know, enough talk, let's see some action. It's all right for you to say you're a Christian, praise the Lord, you are a Christian. But he was saying, look, Abraham put his faith into practice when he sacrificed, was prepared to sacrifice Isaac. Rahab was the other example. She believed in God, but she put things into action and caused her actions. She was justified by her actions. In other words, she was delivered by her actions. She showed who she was by what she did. And James even says, look, even the demons do something. Even the demons believe. What do they do? Shake with fear. So I was trying to explain, and I just couldn't get out to the men that I was speaking to. What I was trying to say, and I was saying, look, I'm, and what I'm trying to say is, and I just couldn't, and I was like, how can I put this? What, what is the message of James? And, I, and it just came out and said, look, basically James is saying this, shut up and show me. Shut up and show me. And it was a men's encounter, so I thought that was it. And then at the end of it, one of, one of the young guys got up and began to rap. He began to rap, and he began to rap about, shut up and show me. And all about, you know, you, do, you say this, you say that, the other, shut up and show me. And that is, that's the title of my book, Shut Up and Show Me. That's the title of my book. And, um, and I do believe that is what James is talking about. And I, and I think that God is often saying to us, in a nice, loving way, shut up and show me. Just keep going. Lord, 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 shut up and show me. You know, it's, it's, it's like that Jerry Maguire film, isn't it? Show me the money. And it's like, there is this guy, and, and he's like, you know, he, he's the um, representative of sportsmen, and he's lost all of his sportsmen, and there's this final one, and he's saying, please, you know, I'll help you, please. And he was talking the talk. And then there's, there's this guy, this football player, just says, show me the money. And then starts, show me the money. In other words, I don't want to hear what you're talking. You're my agent. I don't want to hear this, that, and the other. I don't want to hear about what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. Just show me the money. That's all I care about. Well, Jesus is saying, Lord, you calling me Lord, Lord. Just do it. Show me. Put it into action. And see if things don't change. Building a house, digging deep, laying the foundation on the rock. You see, this isn't easy believism. This is putting your strength into action and digging into the rock of your character. And Jesus said, everyone who comes to me hears my word and does them, is going to be strong and immovable. It's amazing how when you face difficulties and trials and circumstances, how they actually reveal your maturity and where you really are with the Lord. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I don't like trials and circumstances, but I do thank God for them, usually afterwards, because they really are a great measuring stick or a great thermometer to where you really are. 
it's so easy to think more of yourself than you really are. It, to think that you are stronger than you really are. I mean, you, you have to test yourself. I mean, when you, when you go for a medical checkup, uh, you, 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 they test you. They test to see how healthy you are. And so, in our lives, when tests or circumstances come, they really do reveal where we are. And I think of times when I've faced situations, and, and they're not all massive situations, some of them can be small tests, little things. But when the trial or the test or the circumstance comes, and what happens to you? Do you stand strong or do you fall apart? And when I say fall apart, you can fall apart in many ways. When you fall apart, what simply happens is you lose faith. Or you lose the fruit of the Spirit. You see, I've noticed that when pressures come, or temptations come, or tests come, the question is, how strong is the fruit of the Spirit in you? Because when tests and trials come, that's when you see the character deep down. Have you got a foundation, a character with a strong foundation that can cause you to deal with whatever circumstance, situation, opposition or challenge that comes across? Like I said, it's the circumstances aren't really that important. I'll say that again. The circumstances aren't really that important. What's important is the character. Because if you have a strong character or a strengthening character, then when the flood arises and the stream broke, stream broke against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. A well built character can withstand circumstance, pressure, and storms. Don't you want to be in a place where you're not shaken? Don't you want to be in a place of security? Don't you want to be in a place of peace? Don't you want to be in a place that you're not fearing what's round the corner? Because what's happening on the inside of you is a process of hearing and doing that is causing a foundation to be built with you, line on line, brick on brick, day after day, week after week. You can't build a house or a foundation like this at one conference. It's consistent. It's coming back to the same thing. It's building knowing that you don't have to fear anything. God wants us to come out of fear. God wants us to come out of anxiety. God doesn't want us to suffer mental health issues. God doesn't want us to be on medication for our nerves. God wants us to be secure. God wants us to be strong. God wants us to have a foundation of character in our lives. So that whatever comes just bounces off us. He doesn't want us to be like the person that hears and does not do them. Who's like a person who builds a house on a ground without foundation. Matthew says sand. sand but here in the Luke version, it's ground without foundation. Think about that. 
a, a, a character with no foundation. And no, the character may look all, like we've said, wonderful on the outside, but there's no foundation there. The person might seem nice. The person might seem generous. The person might seem spiritual. The person might seem godly. But there's no foundation to that external pretense. And James has already said that that external pretense is not just for people. The person is actually deceived themselves. So it's not just that this person is putting on a... I found this, I used to think, when you see people and, and then they're exposed, you think, oh, they were putting on a show for everybody. And then it dawned on me, they weren't just putting on a show for everybody, they believed the show themselves. That scared me when I realized that. When I saw that people were exhibiting on the outside character that they didn't have on the inside, and then eventually, because eventually... The storm's going to come. Eventually, it's going to be exposed. Something's going to happen. And when it's exposed, I just thought, oh, look at them putting on a pretense for, for everyone. And then I thought, oh, my God, it's worse than that. It's worse. They weren't just pretending to others. They were pretending to themselves. And I got worried. I thought, that's like the person who sees the huge log in somebody's eye. Sorry, who sees the... The tiny splinter in somebody's eye can't see the log in their own. Oh, God save me. One of my prayers is God save me from self-deception. Save me from self-deception. And, and here when the storm comes, there's no character there. I said the, the, the most important thing in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. I am convinced that there needs to be a restoration in the revelation and application of the Bible's teaching on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's like a forgotten doctrine. I find nobody has a clue about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Searched high and low for books on the fruit of the Spirit, Hundreds and thousands on the gifts of the Spirit, on the power of God. Hardly anything on the fruit of the Spirit. And that which is, I can count on one finger. Well, two, because I wrote a bit on the fruit. Two fingers, books that are any good on the fruit of the Spirit. The, re the rest, it just talks about the fruit like it's a law. It talks about the fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, generosity, self-control. And people think, oh, that's, you know, I'm naturally self-control, or I'm naturally gentle, or I've naturally got goodness. They don't even know what those words mean. Those words, the fruit of the Spirit, patience, for example, and goodness, they don't, they're, they're far deeper than the words that are in the English. Far deep, it's like a hidden doctrine. But I'm telling you, when the, when, when the trials come, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that keeps you strong. Patience, for example. The word patience in the fruit of the Holy Spirit is macrothumia, macro, long, thumia, temper, long-tempered, or long-fused. In other words, you can take it. 
You can take it. You can take it. You can take a little bit more without losing your temper. You can take a little bit more without getting offended. You can take a little bit more. One of the greatest fruits of the Holy Spirit is macrothumia, long-tempered, patience. And, and, and one of the greatest things that God wants to teach us is patience. You just, you just look at all the great men and women of the Bible. They all had to have incredible patience. And it's when they lost patience that actually a lot of bad stuff happened. When Moses hit the rock, he lost his patience. When Abraham had his Ishmael, he lost his patience. God, that is one of the greatest. You see, this is, this is when you do what Jesus tells you to do, when you put things into action, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will get stronger. You'll get a deep foundation, your character foundation. All of us, have, all of us need to look at our character. Your character is what will bring you success. And your character is what will bring you failure. It's your character. It's your character formed by the Holy Spirit by applying God's word. This is the great work of the Spirit. The great work of the Spirit is not signs and wonders and miracles and healings. God can do that through anybody whenever he wants. It is not a big deal to heal people. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal for God. You don't need any character to lay hands on the sick. You don't need any character. Tell you what, you need character to lay hands on the sick when they start recovering and you think you're somebody you're not. You know what I'm talking about? God uses you in a miracle and you think you're somebody. No, the greatest miracle is for God by his spirit and his word to get into our malformed, broken character and make us strong. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle on God's earth is a mature Christian. The greatest miracle on God's earth is when you have a weakness that becomes a strength. The greatest miracle on God's earth is when you change and you see change in your character, maturity in your character. And you begin to say, you know, I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. Uh, there, there's, I'm a lot more generous than I used to be. I'm, I'm more gentle. One of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. And it's not what you think. Gentleness is strength. Uh, sorry, gentleness is Power or strength under control. Gentleness is power under control, used for appropriate meanings. It's when you've got great power and you don't abuse it. You know, if you, if you abuse the little power that you have, if you have a little bit of authority at work or, or if you're a cell leader or something, and you go around telling everybody this and telling them that and having a go at them, but you can't take it yourself, you don't have the fruit of gentleness. Gentleness is manifest in those that are given great power. Great power, whether that's great authority, whether that's great power through money, and how they use that. Power under control, you see. And so Jesus is saying he wants to build deep in us. So when these things come, when, when the one who does not do them, who isn't building, isn't allowing that mirror to reflect what's going on in their lives, isn't seeking God about known weaknesses 
in their life. People who have had anger problems for decades, what's that about? People who have got fear problems, anxiety problems for years, what's that about? What's that about? There is a do not fear in the Bible for every day of the year. I'm not saying if you're suffering from any of those things that I'm saying that there's an answer to those things. You see, the greatest desire in our lives is for inner wholeness. It's like I said, it's what's on the inside that really matters, not what happens on the outside. You can hear great stories of saints past, martyrs, and these people had such strong foundations, rock-like character, fruit of the Spirit exhibited in very high levels. And they were so strong on the inside that nothing could shake them to the point where they didn't even fear death, where they would go to the flames of martyrdom singing. I mean singing, praising God to be found worthy of such suffering. And then praising God with the hands lifted as the flames were lit. What manner of people are these? What manner of Christians are? What levels of maturity are possible in Christ? And we, aren't we? And we're so easily offended by the Lord or disappointed by the Lord. Such levels that God wants to take to you in on you. The people were so strong that they could face death without turbulence on the inside. This, this is where security is. This is where peace is. This is where faith is. To be unmoved by the storms that come our way. To be able to stand there in ever-increasing perseverance, strength, rock-like, trusting the Lord in the midst of confusion, believing God, getting to the place like Job, though he slay me, I'll still trust him. I mean, I mean, look at Job, look at them all. I mean, the Bible is full of people that just believed God and took him at his word. And when these things came, it could not shake it. How wonderful to, to be increasingly in a place where you're unshakable. You say, well, I'm very shakable. I know, me too. But we don't have to stay like this. You hear what I'm saying? You say, I'm all over the place. This is a message for you. You don't need to be all over the place. You can be stronger. It's not a quick fix overnight anointing. I can't lay hands on you and impart a foundation of rock-like character. I can't lay hands on you and impart character. Can't do it. Can't impart the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I can impart a healing. I can impart prophetic as the Holy Spirit leads. I can impart a miracle, but can't impart the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is too precious to impart. It must be grown. It must be developed. It must come forth. It's too precious. That's why the character of God's saints is the most precious thing in his sight. He is more concerned in your character 
than what you do for him. On this I'll end and then we'll minister. I remember going to Toronto. Remember the Toronto blessing or the Father's blessing? John and Carol Arnott in 1994, I believe it really began this wonderful move of the Father's heart. And I went over to Toronto with Wynne Lewis's, the former senior minister, his son Gareth Lewis was also a minister at KT. And we went over with some others. Tayo Ayuero was with us. And we went over to visit this place that people were going all over the world. And we were excited because we were going to meet with the Holy Spirit. And, and it was wonderful to be there. And meetings would start at 7 o'clock in the evening and be going on till 3 or 4 in the morning. And uh, the glory was just poured out and all sorts of power, salvation, healings and powerful manifestations of God and people responding to the Holy Spirit. And, and it was wonderful, but after a couple of nights, I got I started to get a little bit concerned because nothing had happened to me. No, I, hadn't, I hadn't shaken under the power of God. I didn't get any holy, I didn't get any holy laughter. I didn't even like fall to the floor under the power of God. And when you're sitting there watching other people highly touched by God till four o'clock in the morning, and you will go away saying, well, I really appreciated the service, but what happened to me? I began to start getting a bit worried. How come everybody else is receiving powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit but me? And then I started to get paranoid that all the prayer people that were there on the ministry team were looking at me thinking, you know, I don't even know if he's saved. <laughs> one night, one night I got like so concerned about this, I nipped out of the thing, I just, and it was, it was an airport church, I just watched the airport land, uh, the, the planes land, because I was embarrassed because I wasn't getting an encounter. And you say, well, that's a bit immature. Well, maybe it was, but when everybody else is... Is, is having powerful physical responses and encounters with God, and you're not. You do get worried. It's just human nature. Well, anyway, on the last day, um, we're, all, we're, already st we're already standing in line, and I already decided, because what they would do is they, they'd do a big white line, and it would go all around the church and in the corridors, and hundreds of people, you'd stand on the white line, then they'd start coming down praying for you, and I'd been on that line a few times, and I was getting embarrassed, because every time, it's like I'd look to my right, bang, 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 power of God hitting people falling on the floor, bang, 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 pray for me, bang, 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 and I'd be the only one left, left in the line. I'd already, I already decided, I didn't care what was happening, I was going to go down. <laughs> and, I just, oh. and, and, I was, and so I was there struggling. I, I suppose it was a bit silly, but it was real at the time. I did feel like, you know, what's going on? I've, I don't understand why, I, you know, I'm hungry. Is there something wrong in me? I, all these things. And anyway, they came down, and then one of the ministry team came and prayed for me and said... I perceive that you're a minister. And the Lord would say to you that he is far more interested in who you are than what you do. And that what you do and your ministry is tiny in, his, in importance to who you are and your relationship with him. And that's what I got from Toronto in Canada. And I'm still talking about it today. I mean, I wonder, amen. So it just shows you, it shows you. 
and I, you know, it shows you, maybe people have forgotten when they rolled around or got the joy of the Lord or everything and everything like that. And may, maybe those that were there that week, maybe they've even forgotten about it. And all I got was that word that God was more, import, was more concerned with me than my ministry. And that's what I want to close with with you. With you. God is more concerned with what's going on in the side, inside you than what you can do for him. I mean, you can't do anything without him anyway. And he can do whatever he wants through you. But what he wants is you're strong on the inside. He doesn't want you going, Lord, Lord, Lord. Oh, Bruce panicking again. Bruce, come on, Bruce. It's all right to panic, by the way. It's all right. You see, when you go through something and you respond like the person that's on the sand and you fall apart or you lose faith or you, you get annoyed with God or you panic, that's all right. That's all right. It is all right. But Jen, just do something about it. Do something about it. It's like Peter, isn't it? Lord, let me go out to where you are in the water. And he goes out and he's doing all right for a while. And then all of a sudden, a wave splashes in when he wasn't looking. And he panics. Lord, save me. And what does the Lord do? Saves him. But then says, hey, come on. Faith. Faith. God wants to take you from glory to glory. It doesn't matter if you have mistakes. It doesn't matter if at times on the inside it all caves in. It doesn't matter. But what God wants, God is looking for the long haul. God is looking for the working. God is looking for the changing. Take the mirror of God's word. Put it into action. And you will find that you will begin to change. And you will, your happiness will not be subject to circumstances. Well, it will to a certain degree, but you'll find this. A weak Christian, good circumstances, happy Christian, strong Christian. But a, or seemingly so. But a weak Christian, everything's going well, everything's great with God. Things go bad, Christian, weak Christian falls apart. Things go well, weak Christian, happy again. And it becomes a roller coaster existence that is not based on God and his word, but on adverse or pleasant circumstances. I don't know about you, I'm sick of living according to circumstances. I'm sick of living on the high of a good time and the woe of a bad time and then, and then waiting for a good time. And then a bad, I'm thinking to me, if only I could have good times all the time. Well, they're not, you're not going to get that. I want to be in that place increasingly. I want to get to that place where it's like good times, bad times, all the same to me. Artie Kendall in his book on James and wisdom, in this section on James, not his new book, but he said, I met, he, told, he wrote in his book that he met an old lady and uh, she was so strong in the Lord in what we're talking about that she said, you know, Artie, I've been, I've been in the Lord for so long that I honestly have got to the place where I don't know the difference between a blessing and a trial. Wow. Fancy, fancy being so mature that you don't know the difference between a blessing and a trial because you, you're not, the blessing's great, but the trial doesn't affect you. You are even keeled and strong of character. 
And you know that even the trial will eventually be to your blessing. So you've got to the place where you're no longer up on a blessing, down on a trial. Strong in the Lord when it's going well, feel like giving up when it's going bad. But you just stand there and blessing comes and you praise the Lord. Trial comes and you praise the Lord. And you say, do you know what? I've been around long enough to know. I don't even know the difference between a blessing and a trial because they do not affect me because of what God's... That's what God wants for us. To get us increasingly blessed. Lord, Lord! No. I'll just keep doing what he said. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Lord... Lord, we know that this is a work of the Spirit. A work of the Spirit. It's not like you're saying, try hard to do. You're just asking us to partner with the Holy Spirit as he brings his mirror into our lives. That's all you're asking. You're not saying, do it on your own. You're not saying, try harder, work harder. You're just saying, cooperate with the Spirit. Do what he tells you to do. Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, do what I don't tell you to do, or do what you think I've told you to do. He says, do what I tell you. It's present tense. Let's just respond to the Lord. What is God telling you to do? Why don't you just respond? What is God telling you to do? What has he been telling you to do? So I I do what the Bible tells me. You can't do everything the Bible tells you. There's too much in there. Where would you begin? I'm going to do what the Bible tells me to do. Forget it, it's too big. What is the Holy Spirit taking from the Bible and telling you what to do? And I'm not saying that he's going to say it for the first... He's been speaking to you for a long while. That mirror's been held over you constantly. This isn't like, oh, Lord, I have no idea. Oh, no. He's been speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you now? What I'm telling you now, not two years ago. Don't second guess what the Holy Spirit's going to tell you in the future. It doesn't matter right now what he told you many years ago. Or what he told you, what's he saying to you now? Partnering with him now. His yoke is easy. He might ask you to do something radical, but his yoke is easy. Partnering for your own benefit. Holy Spirit, come upon us, Lord. The greatest miracle is your work on the inside. In fact, you're looking for a people that have had the miracle of God's work on the inside so that you can do all the external stuff. The gifts of the Spirit that come so easy. The miracles, the breakthroughs, the provisions, the miracles. Easy things. What you want is a character that can handle that. A rock-like character. Immovable, unshakable. Full of peace, trust. God has an obsession about being trusted.
if I can put it that way. God is obsessed with your trust in him. He's obsessed by it. So all that matters to him is that you trust him. And if you trust him, you begin to put into action the things he tells you. Why? Because you trust him. Lord, release your Holy Spirit. Father, release your Holy Spirit, I pray. The affections and the workings of the Spirit, the grace of the Spirit, the communion and fellowship, partnership of the Holy Spirit with a purpose. Bring forth in these days the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Deep down, let us exhibit love and joy. Joy not dependent on circumstances. Peace not dependent on the lack of storms. Patience that endures. A goodness that comes out of our lives into other people's lives. A faithfulness and a spirit of faith trusts you and is trustworthy for others kindness that is profound in its generosity gentleness where we have authority and strength and power is totally under control it's used for your glory not our glory self-control self-control able to muster and master our strength for you not to be controlled by others not to be controlled by circumstances but to be self-controlled to be self not to be thrown this way and that by storms but to be under control like a ship in a storm with a rudder. Oh God, release your workings. Let the word come forth in these days with power. Let the word of God in this house come forth in these days with great power for internal change. Let the preaching of God's word have peculiar anointings on it in these days. Visitations of the Holy Spirit that the word would come forth, not just in word, but power to bring about inside people's lives what it proclaims. Make us strong in the power of the Lord and in his might. That having stood, we might still stand against all the wiles of the enemy. To get to that place of increasing imperviousness to the entrance of the enemy's lies. mercy on us as we own our weakness before you Lord 
you'll make us strong. You'll make us strong, Lord. You'll make us strong. You'll do the work. You'll put strength into our hearts. You'll put courage into our hearts. You'll put boldness into our hearts. You'll put peace into our hearts. You'll teach us your ways. You'll teach us. You'll grow us. We don't have to stay the same. You want us to move forward. You want us to grow. Be a lamp unto our feet, Lord. Show us the next steps. Make us a clear path. Give us great wisdom to know what to do, when to do it, what to say, when to say it, when to hold our tongue, when to speak, when to act, and when to wait. Oh God, all things are in your hands. Your graciousness and your kindness and your patience. Lord, we know the fruit of the Spirit because that's what you're like. You are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. You, you're, you're, you're everything. You're, you're everything. You're, the, you're love, Jesus. You're joy. You're our peace. You're our faithfulness. You're so patient with us, so kind, so gentle. All of those characteristics, that's what you are to us all the time. We're so thankful you're not angry with us. So thankful that there's not one ounce of the flesh in you. There's no anger, contention or jealousy in you, Lord. No fits of rage. No, it's patience, peace, faithfulness, generosity, goodness, kindness, joy, love. Just coming from you to us all the time. God, Holy Spirit, help us to be open to the goodness of God. Help us to be open and to eat of the fruit of the Spirit that is Jesus in our lives. Lord, if we've portrayed you in any way that you're not, we've made you into some nasty, angry, bitter, hard taskmaster, we ask you forgiveness. We ask that you'll open us to your goodness, that your goodness might flow. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward. We're just going to praise the Lord for a few minutes and you know as God is working on character issues we can believe that he's going to do some miracles, do some healings, do some breakthroughs, we can believe that, that's the easy thing I don't, I don't mean to play down our circumstances but God can do that God can do that if we focus on the important things, you know these signs will follow as we follow him so just as we worship the Lord, the next few minutes, five, ten minutes, if you need to leave, you can leave, but we're going to be here for the next five, ten minutes, ministering to people's practical needs, physical needs, whatever you want, we'll pray for you, we're just going to worship the Lord.